Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit DestinyDayton.com. Acts chapter 2, verse 12. Let me just, quick context. This whole crowd in vacation mode, right? They're in Jerusalem for a big feast. Thousands of people gathered. 120 in the upper room get hit by the power of God. The Holy Spirit gets outpoured on today, 2,000 years ago. Okay, 1,973 years ago, 33 years ago, somewhere in there. Almost 2,000 years ago, 40 days after resurrection, the Holy Spirit poured out. And here we have this crowd gathered, and they're hearing the 120 speak in languages and the languages they recognize. But it's interesting because they're not speaking to them. They're speaking about God. So they hear a language they recognize and, the, and it goes to the Cretans, the, uh, you know, the Egyptians, Pamphylia. So you've got a, a Jews and proselytes. So proselyte would be Gentiles, right? The only way to be saved before Jesus was to become a Jew, right? People say, well, what would you have to do to be saved before Jesus came, well, you would have to become a proselyte. You would have to follow the only one God, the one true living God, Yahweh, right? And so you'd become a Jew. So proselytes, that's what, and, and Egyptians. So you had, you, you had a, a, a very diverse group gathered, right? So they're hearing languages, but it's not like, hey, you. It's like God is awesome because the Bible says they were uh, uh, lifting up God. They were magnifying the greatness of God in their home language. And it struck them as a little strange. And verse 12 says this, all right, this is, this is important. We're looking at the blueprint of Pentecost. And I just want you to see all aspects. If we haven't covered it all now in five weeks, I probably didn't quite get everything in, but I wanted us to, to get a basis for what happens when Pentecost shows up. Verse 12 says they were all astounded and greatly confused. Everyone say astounded and confused. Saying to each other. Yeah, no, keep going. You're doing good. Saying to each other. What does this mean? But others jeered at the speaker saying they are drunk on new wine. Now, this was nine in the morning, so as we always like to say, you, you are a hardcore alcoholic if you're drunk at nine in the morning, right? So they were making some pretty ridiculous accusations on these, on these people here. Verse 37, same group. Are you tracking? Now, when they heard this, they were acutely distressed is what my translation says. What does your translation say? They were cut to the heart. You know what that means? Convicted. Right. It's powerful. You ever been convicted? You were cut. And you knew there was only one way forward. And that was just to totally unveil yourself before the Lord. And others perhaps. And let him come in and cleanse you. It's a beautiful thing. We thank God for that. They were acutely distressed, cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do, brothers? And Peter said to them, repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Again, please understand the baptism and the Holy Spirit and salvation are two separate events. Right. There are people who would say, well, salvation is when you get the Holy Spirit, you don't need anything else. But that is not what the Bible says. Yes, the Holy Spirit does the work of regeneration, and I don't want to get down in the weeds and get all theological. If you, if you, if you like that, we can do that at some point. But the Holy Spirit does the work of regeneration in our heart, right? The Holy Spirit is the one that cleans us. But the Bible is pretty clear. There's another event. There's another act of grace called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and, and, and Peter highlights them both here. Re- confess, repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is only as long as the original 12 apostles are still alive. This expires when the Bible becomes canon in 300 A.D. No, that's not what he said. Uh, this, This promise is only good until... Uh, uh, until 100 A.D., right after John 96 A.D., when John writes the book of Revelation. No. This promise is for you, your children, and all who are far away. As ma- If that doesn't cover you, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. There's no qualification. There's no expiration date. It doesn't say, well, it's only for a certain time period. It's only for the establishment of the church. Can I tell you, the church is still being established. When I hear people say that, I'm like, what newspaper, pardon the old fashioned term there, but what newspaper are you reading? (laughs) We are still in process of establishing the kingdom of God. Hello. Hello. And with many other words, verse 40, he testified and exhorted them, saying, save yourself from this perverse generation. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I bless you. I thank you for these incredibly astute, spiritually hungry, Holy Spirit sensitive people that you've gathered in this body. Lord Jesus, this gospel we didn't create. We didn't make it. But God, it's making us. It's recreating our hearts. It's doing a work inside of us, Lord. So, God, I just pray you just continue to do your work in the name of Jesus. As we say, God, we let the bomb go off and then we'll just pastor the chaos. We thank you, God, for the chaos in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Three thoughts and then I just want us to have upper room in here today. Okay. It's Pentecost Sunday. Just heads up. We're going to pray together at the end. Just so you know. Right? I wouldn't be a very good pastor if on Pentecost Sunday we didn't come together and pray. But here's some, some thoughts that I wanted to touch on because these are things. And again, I, I just I, I try to I, I want this to be applied theology today because being I don't know, I was raised Pentecostal. I was raised in Pentecost. So I've heard every objection in the book from inside the movement, outside the movement. And uh, so I, I, I want to I want this to be an applied theology thing today, if that makes sense. It's going to be applicable. Verse 12 tells us that everyone gathered 
As the Holy Spirit fell, they were gathered, they were astounded and greatly confused, saying to one another, what does this mean? I want you just to understand this, and this may be simple, and I'm just a simple kind of guy, but this, this is a simple point that I think we can't under, underscore enough. We should never fear people being astounded or confused when God moves. Because a move of God may seem strange to some, and it often does. When revival happens, when Pentecostal revival happens, you will see things you may not understand. And and we haven't seen a whole, I mean, you know, things I'm talking about are, you know, what we've seen here has been mild, but I'm talking about extreme things. Wow. Right. That may offend your sensibility. Right. But we want to be very careful because it is okay if people are astounded or confused when God moves. That's okay. Because it, 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 it seems here pretty clear that people were confused by what the Holy Spirit was doing in the lives of the 120. Mainly because the Bible says they were confused. Right? And there's a misnomer, and this is why I'm saying this, there's a misnomer in the church world today where sometimes you may have heard or caught wind of or where sometimes a pastor or a church leader will try to shield their people from anything they feel is weird or confusing. As in, if anything supernatural happens, there's this thought of, well, we don't want that. That will confuse people. Brother, you got to calm that down. That's going to scare people. Right? Now, here's the thing. It's tragic, really, because that effectively eliminates any supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that everything that happens, and again, we're a, we're a long, we're miles away from anything that's over the top here. I'll let you know when we hit over the top. We're not even close. <laughs> but we have to be very careful because when we try to eliminate anything that might be confusing or might be scary, we might actually be eliminating the work of the Holy Spirit that he's trying to do in people's lives. I like what my friend John Burton says. If you don't follow him online on on social, I'd, I'd encourage you to do so. But he's like, you know, the world needs this again. They need to come in a church service and feel astounded and confused. They need to be greatly distressed. They need to feel cut to the heart. But we have this gospel of accommodation nowadays that floats around. And we try to shield people from anything that's scary, anything that's unusual. And as I always like to say, you know, if you're afraid of weird, what are you using? for a Bible because last I checked the Bible that we have is full of weird it just is now we don't want people being weird right we're not we're not saying we want you know people going crazy and doing the going out in the flesh no we don't want that but just we need to also understand that when God comes down there may be things that happen that will our tendency will be well Believe me, I've seen it. But we need to make sure that we that we do not eliminate the working and the power of the Holy Spirit because because there's people honestly they come into our church and I consider us honestly 
We're very mild in the realm of Pentecost right now. This church is very mild, but people have come in here and say, wow, you guys are radical. Seriously. Right? I've heard that many times. How many have heard that? You guys are radical. You guys are crazy. Well, the pastor might be crazy. He is. I am. I, I, I am. I'm a little off. I get that. But what God is doing here is wonderful and is powerful, but I wouldn't consider anything that God has done is outside the pale. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. But we have to be careful because what needs to happen is when there's an outpouring of God's Spirit, when there's power of God moving, we need to be the people that will stand up and say, this is that. That was one of my points earlier in this series, how, you know, Pentecost is a statement to the culture that, that we're saying, you know, this is the truth. This is that. Now, how I many truth is offensive today to people? It really is. I've heard people say that. Truth is such a bigoted, offensive word. Well, that's going to be a problem then, because we're never going to get to truth if we're afraid to face the truth. The reason why truth is offensive to people is because they have darkness in their heart. And when you're entertaining stuff in your heart that goes against the kingdom of God and the will of God, you're not going to want to hear truth because that means you're going to have to change and transform. But how will this world change and transform unless they get the full prescription strength gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you with me? I love what Proverbs 20 says. It says the purpose of a man's heart is deep waters. But then the, then, then then Solomon says, but the one of understanding draws it out. You see, people want to know who they are inside. They're trying to find out, you know, people searching for talk about identity and finding that, you know, that is best served by doing what? Getting close to the one of understanding. Jesus Christ, it's that relate intimacy with God is what will draw out the, un, the deep things inside of you. Amen. I've made shared this before, but uh, when we were going through revival in the mid 90s and when uh, we were in Oklahoma, we had a man in our church who um, we had a we were at a service, in fact, where he, he went with us. And uh, he was rather new in our church and he uh, came with his wife and his wife was into it and he wasn't. It was one of these deals where, you know, the wife was kind of, you know, in and he was just kind of hands in the pocket, checking the watch and, you know, you know, that. But this particular service, this man got massively cut to the heart. He was acutely distressed. And this is a man that looked like he had everything together. He just didn't have much interest in God. Would come to church, hands in the pocket, look at the watch, sit in the back, wait till it's time to go, do his thing, make his wife happy, leave. But in this service, this man encountered the power of God. And I first noticed when I was in the middle, middle section, middle aisle roughly, and I saw somebody crawling on their hands and knees to answer the altar call. It was this man crawled see sometimes i think you know we don't know what conviction is when normal people get wrecked suddenly the little things right all of a sudden you realize i'm not so shiny as i thought i was well this brother crawled that night he gave his life to jesus got changed transformed and 
The next morning, he, in fact, he took a few days off of work. In retrospect, we found all this out. This was a big church that I was in. We sat 1,500. We had about, I don't know, seven or 800 people at the time that attended. And he came to our offices and he said, could I just go in the sanctuary and pray? Didn't know his story. Knew his name. Didn't know his story. I said, sure. We let him in there. Every morning we'd start a day off in prayer. We'd spend, you know, some time praying together as staff. And then we'd go to our, do our things the rest of the day. And uh, the hours drug on for this brother. And I've, I wanted to check on him, right? So I, I peeked in the window of the sanctuary. We had those doors with the windows in them, right? And, I, and all by himself, he was down like in the altar area. And he was like, it looked to my eye like he was whinnying like a horse. It, you've seen the movies where like a horse, you're trying to, you had a rope and you're trying to hold him back. And he was rearing up on his hind legs going like that. Like this horse was about to break free. That man was doing that. And I thought, that's not something you see every day. And I know the critics say, ah, they have people winning like horses there. Which is what a critic would do. But this man was all by himself. We thought, there's nothing wrong with him doing whatever he wants to do as long as it's within, I mean, we have limits, right? We have reasonable limits. But that, that acting like a horse being set free is not something that we would consider, you know, too crazy. We found out later that this man had an addiction to pornography. And he was feeding it multiple ways, HBO, Cinemax, blah, blah, blah. And God got a hold of him. And God changed his life. And we, we asked him about that, the horse thing. And he said, you know, he said, I don't know. He said, I just felt set free. I just felt like I had busted loose from every chain, everything that was holding me. And I fell free. And that's a point where I thought, you know what? When God's working on people, how about I shut up and I worry about me and I don't judge what, what, some, what happened with someone else because you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what God has done for them. You don't know their shoes they walked in. And then when you walk into, like, I heard this up in Toronto when we, and we were up there, people said, you know, they, they and they, the revival in, in Toronto, people like, oh, a lot of crazy stuff happened. But the same thing, you don't know where people have come from. You don't know what God has brought them out of. You don't know what's been going on in their life. So instead of having your head on a swivel, say, well, look at that, darling, look at that, Ethel, what's going on over there? Just, just, just focus on Jesus. Just focus on Jesus. If people get confused or weirded out, we explain it to them. But we sure ain't going to stop what God's doing. So I just want to make that point today. Don't, don't fear someone being confused, astounded, or weirded out. It's okay. Now, we don't want them being weirded out on somebody just being in the flesh. Right? Like, like a parking lot prophet who wants to take you aside after church and, and, and you know, give you a word that's false. Right? We, we, we're, not, we're not up for that but we're up for what God wants to do. Hello. Number two, 
with this, I want you to see that how you respond to a move of God depends on the condition of your heart. Are you hungry, open to God, ready to receive, seeking him, or are you sort of distant, not expecting to hear from God, busy about your daily life, busy about your plans, not giving much room for God to speak? Why do I say that? Because how you come in this place will determine how much you get from the Lord, right? I've gone into churches before, and I get, oh, they don't allow coffee in the sanctuary. I get put off. No one said hi to me. And I get put off. And I have all these things building up, and then it comes time, and the, the, the worship is powerful, and, and the Spirit of God is moving, and it's like, I gotta, I gotta forgive people who didn't even know they wronged me by, by not saying hi to me, right? And I have to get over the fact that I could only bring a bottle of water in the sanctuary, and I had all these stupid things that were on me. It wasn't on anybody else, it was my perception of what was going on, but it was hindering me. A faulty for people say, well, perception's reality. Mm, not if it's not reality, though. You're entitled to your perception, but it's got to be based in facts. Right? And we're all good at that. We can draw conclusions that aren't there. Right? We can draw conclusions without any pencil or writing device at all. Oh, they're, they're bare and friendly. They don't care about me or one lick. They don't have, they, they, that, all that, that just says more about what's going on in my mind and in my heart than what anyone thinks of me. I say all that to say we have to make sure none of that junk is tripping us up when we come into the presence of the Lord because the devil will capitalize on that to keep you from receiving. Because I was care- I'm careful to note, no one ever says that about, you know, Skyline Chili. I'm not going back to Skyline. No one says hi to me there. I looked around and people were looking at me and that meant they didn't like me. Really? Just because they were looking at you? Right? I went to Walmart. I'll never go back. Most unfriendly group of people I've ever met. I didn't get a free coffee mug or a free Frisbee or a free anything else. I'm just, I've had it. Come on. What are we running? A junior high youth group? Come on. Do we have to stand and have the welcome song? I don't know. I mean, but we, we got to be careful because we will let things get under our crawl that have nothing to do with how anybody feels about you. They probably, everybody loves you if they know you. But here's the thing. Anything like that will hinder the condition of our heart. And this is important. So you see, the visiting crowd here in Jerusalem, they were busy about their daily life. How many think they expected to hear what they heard and see what they saw? No, of course not. They were there for what? A festival. A feast. They were in vacation mode, right? This is you at Myrtle Beach in your in your flowery shirt and straw hat and your flip-flops walking around. We got sunburn and you got a towel over your shoulder. Hey, honey, where are we going to have supper tonight? That's kind of how it was. Don't even act like that's not how you do vacation either. Come on. I know better. 
Many of these people didn't live there in Jerusalem. They were visiting. They were there for the Feast of Pentecost. And as a result, here we go, here we go. They were in spectator mode. People come to church all the time in spectator mode. Sometimes they go ahead and tell me, well, we're church shopping. What's that mean? I'm in spectator mode. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to do any. I'm not going to. I'm just going to sit here and spectate. Right. It's, it's, it's the American way. Right. We're in spectator mode. But please note only the people, the only people confused in Acts 2 were who? The spectators. Let's just sit and dwell on that for a moment. Wow. The hungry people who were receiving weren't confused at all. They weren't confused at all. This is what I want you to see here. I just have this to highlight it for you. Hungry people will receive. Spectators will spectate. This is a truism of revival and Pentecost that I've, I have seen proven yearly, <laughs> every year of my life. As long as you want to sit and spectate and your head's on a swivel and what's going on over there and who's doing that and who's making that clicking sound with the roof of the mouth and who's over there and who's coughing and who's hacking and oh my goodness, they don't have a mask on and oh, they have a mask on and oh, I got to get away from them because they have a mask or don't have a mask. I got to, you know, all these little subplots running through your mind and you wonder why it came to the altar call. No, what's this altar call about? I don't want to answer the wrong altar call. It's for granulated eyelids. Okay, I'm safe. I don't have granulated eyelids. I don't need to come forward. <laughs> I've never given an altar call for granulated eyelids. Just want to know. But if you have them, we'll pray for you. Is that a real condition even? <laughs> My medical people are frowning at me. Evidently not. Okay. <laughs> because it's a heart condition. If you want to receive from the Lord, it's a heart condition. It's an inside work. And it works its way outside to like prancing horses and, and whatever else. Dancing feet. It starts in here. It comes out here. And it depends where you were and what you were dealing with and how long you've been there. It might depend on your reaction. And the people that would, well, did God make him bark like a horse or when he like, no, that was his response to what God had done for him. Am I making sense? So I want you to be clear on this. God is a God of order and truth. How many of you know that? God is a God of order and truth because every one of you have that verse in your head. Well, God is not the author of confusion. Pastor Eric, I thought of that already. <laughs> yes, I know. He is not the God of confusion. He does what he does and he does how he does it. That someone might be confused by what they are seeing or hearing as a response to God's move isn't God. It's just our response. You know, God may declare something in his word that makes someone angry. So we should not conclude that God is a God of anger because someone feels angry because they heard something God said in his word that made them mad. You tracking with me? Well, they're confused. Okay. Well, God's not a God of confusion. Well, they're angry. Well, God's not a God. He's, he's not. He, he, that's just the truth. He's not angry. You see, you see where I'm going with that? God may declare something in his word. 
that we just embrace and it, it, it elicits a response to, again, depending upon our heart. But people mistakenly will say, well, if it's confusing to people, then it isn't God. Oh, better tell that to the people of the Tower of Babel. God confused their languages. How are we going to reconcile that one? All right? Just as I explained. God does what he does. And here's something powerful about the character of God. May I tell you this? God is not obligated to explain himself to us. It's like, say, who do I think I am that I need God to explain who he is to me? I mean, we're blessed that he's explained enough, right? But he's not obligated to explain himself. Everything God does is to bring order. Things may look confusing to our eye initially. Things may look, uh, you know, chaotic. But rest assured, God is in the program, if you will, running in the background. He is bringing order. He is defragging your hard drive, right? He is setting things back in order. He is, is that an old term? Can we still defrag hard drives? I don't know. PC users, yes, you know that. Mac users are like, what are you talking about? Okay, so (laughs) come on. And God is in the background, and he is bringing things into order. It may look chaotic. You ever seen a surgery? Come on, go to YouTube. Before your surgery, some of y'all... You have a surgery plan, you know, go to YouTube. And I remember we, I, we I heard Julie looking up her neck surgery, man. I was like, oh, my goodness gracious. Look how hideous that is. You can see the procedure done by the hands of a professional. And you know what it looks like? Chaos. Everything is red and bloody, and I don't know what's what. I'm on the outside looking in. I'm like, this is, ca- look, there's blood. There's a bone. There's, oh, there's people there. Their hands are bloody. Their gloves. It's everywhere. And everybody seems relatively calm in the circle around this body laying on this, whatever that is, table. To me, it's chaotic. To them, they're like, no, 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 no. It's part of the process. We're bringing order looks chaotic now because you don't know what it's going to look like when I'm done. (laughs) You don't know what this part is. (laughs) Put it back. (laughs) Here's the intestines. Here's their stomach. (laughs) Does it seem right? It's okay. God's got it. He takes chaos. He shows up in the middle of it. And God, our God is the second law of thermodynamics. He will take disorder and he moves it to order. The second law of thermodynamics says the opposite of that. This is proof our God created the planet. One of the many proofs. Things go from order to disorder. Nothing naturally. If you drive by the four rock heads is that South South Dakota or North Dakota? South Dakota, right? The four presidents, Mount Rushmore. Nobody stops and say, wow, that just naturally occurred that way. My goodness gracious. They just, well, nature, Mother Nature just left four faces in the, in the limestone or whatever kind of rock that is. And then, wow, Mother Nature. No one ever drove by the pyramids in Egypt 
when they first discover them and say, Mother Nature be cutting in 90 degree angles now. Look at that. Wow. What in the world? No, because somebody got in there with intelligence and took chaos and brought it to order. That's what God does. Things left on their own go from order to chaos. When God shows up, he takes it chaos, order. That's Pentecost. may look chaotic, but he's bringing us back to normal. Revival is bringing the church back to normal, right? Hello. Revival is bringing God's people back to the original fire that he planned for all of us to have. Thank you, Jesus. We may look at a move of God, a revival, day of Pentecost. We think messy. Yes, it may be. But please understand God is in the middle of it, putting broken things back together, polishing and renewing lives, healing hearts. It's what he does. Therefore, Pentecost brings order. Brings order. So our takeaway here is don't dismiss something that might be from God just because we're not immediately able to understand it or we may not even like it. I don't care for that woman's personality. I don't care for that guy's voice. I don't care. You know what? Skip all that stuff. Skip all of that. If God's in it, we want it. If God's in it, we want it. I want to jump to the part of the story where Peter tells the confused, the baffled, the puzzled, the clueless, the cut to the heart, something very important in verse 40. He said, save yourselves from this perverse generation. I'd like to just close this thing out by letting you know that Pentecostal encounter is the answer to a perverse generation. The power of the Holy Spirit is the answer to our problems today. Let me say this again loudly and clearly because I hear a lot of people say, what's the solution for this problem? How far the solution? Well, you've been looking for 56 years by my count. You'll be looking for another 56 years after I'm dead. What's the solution to this problem? It is the power of the Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh where people are transformed, where evil is defeated, and people are set free from demonic things that drive them, and people are liberated and made new inside. How dare us look for any other answer? I can't think of a bigger waste of time. Well, we gathered with community leaders, and we tried to figure out an answer for the problem. You're a preacher of the Almighty God, and you didn't tell them the answer? Well, they, they, they wouldn't want to hear that. Well, that's the answer, sir. Jesus is the answer. Well, they, they don't believe that. that that's, that's their fault. We say it anyway because there'll be a few that'll say, you know what? I'm cut to the heart. I want to know, brothers, what must I do to be saved? Are we going to reach everybody? No. Sadly, we won't. Tragically, we won't. 3,000 were saved. That's probably an estimate. But there were probably far more than 3,000 there that day. My guess is there are probably some still at the end, people still mocking them, thinking they're drunk. There are people still confused, walking away. So, well, you don't see that every day, Ethel. What do you think? I don't know. Let's go get an ice cream cone. Let's do it. Yeah. 
but the Holy Spirit arrested. And that's why I love what it says. The, the, the number of those that the Lord will call to him. And this is where we can get in some interesting theological debate on predestination or not, right? Which we won't do here today right now. But I want to tell you, if you know the Lord and you're saved, thank God for it. That's all I'm going to say with that. Because salvation is for everyone. Whosoever call on the name of the Lord might be saved. But you and I have observed this consistent fact throughout life that not everybody is going to do that tragically. You can't even get saved until the Holy Spirit gives you permission. The Holy Spirit is many things, but one thing he is for sure is he's an evangelist drawing people to Jesus. And he does it in so many different ways. Some folks may start out confused, puzzled, perturbed, amazed, befuddled, and sure, puzzled. It's okay. We usually want people comfortable, peaceful. Everything makes sense. We want the service to make sense to everybody. We want someone to come in and it's cookie cutter predictable and neat. And it's all, it's a package and it's 55 minutes or it's free. And here, here's your service. And you know what? I, I just, I'm not made for a service like that. When things get cookie cutter predictable for me, I get very uncomfortable. Because I've seen enough to know that God likes to break out in ways that he likes to break out that will disrupt our run sheets, disrupt our orders of service. And we have to be okay with that. Because another undeniable truth here is he is God and we are not. Let me make it personal. He's God and I'm not. Pastor, don't run the church. I don't own this church. I told this to a group of pastors the other day. I was like, here's one thing you need to know. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. We're not messing with another man's bride. How dare us try to control another man's bride? You know, that bride doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. It belongs to him. Here's the critical key. Never dismiss what God may be doing. And I want to just show you here in Acts chapter 2. I, I want to show you, and I, I made note of this, and I enjoy stuff like this. The journey of the crowd, okay? At least the crowd that got saved. I want, I want you to see this here. Number one, they were baffled in verse 7, right? Imagine, I wonder, I just wonder in America today, how many people, how many, do I have a laser? Oh, oh, I'm about blinded myself. I don't know. Why don't I have a lead? Oh, not very bright. Okay. I'm just thinking, how many people would get past all of, all of these things? If you visited the church and you, these were your emotions, I mean, I wonder how many people would stay to the end. I mean, I just, this is just interesting stuff I think about, right? Theological matters, right? They were baffled. They were confused. They jeered and said the disciples were drunk. They were acutely distressed. They were questioning. So they had gone through a litany of, uh, of emotions, right? Confusion, uh, uh, baffled, uh, jeering and mocking. And suddenly they were cut to the heart. They were distressed. They were uh, uh, convicted. And then they were asking questions. And when they got to the questioning part, how did the apostle Peter wrap it up? What must we do to be saved, brothers? That's what they said. And Peter stood 
And he said, oh, I'm so thank you for being here today. Thank you. You could have been many different places today, but you chose to be in the outer court of the upper room. And we want to thank you for that. And I'd like to ask everyone now, if you'd bow your head, close your eyes. Right. When I count to three, I want you to lift your hands. No, that's not what he said. <laughs> Some of you act like <laughs> that's not what happened. <laughs> Peter stood and he said, When perversion is the order of the day, when truth is being stretched and changed, the answer to a perverse generation is Jesus Christ. Peter stood and said, verse 40, save yourself from this perverse generation. You've been baffled, confused, convicted. You've jeered. You've mocked. We've, we've, we've watched you guys go through all of this. Here's the final note. You want to know what to do? If you're not sure yet, save yourself from the perversion you see in our world today. Unless you think I'm launching out in Monday morning thinking, I want to tell you any generation that's ever existed on this planet without Jesus is perverse. We have our own version of perversion today. But any, any generation without Jesus suffers from perversion the answer to the perverse generation is not the gospel of accommodation. The, are you here today? The answer to a perverse generation is not, it's okay, brother. Come on in. We, it's, it doesn't matter. It's all fine. No, no. Peter stood. Save yourself from a perverse, a perverse generation. This is why I'm, I'm convinced beyond all reasonable doubt that liberal Christianity is the false prophet of today. Because it seeks to accommodate that which cannot be accommodated. It seeks not to offend that which must be confronted. People can't be saved unless they're confronted by the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Peter said, save yourself from this perverse generation. Listen, the last two years, we, we, we've heard the oft-repeated mantra from this generation, follow the science. Ironically, many of those same ones cannot answer the most basic scientific question that we hear today. What is a woman? The reason they cannot answer that question or other questions like that is because their hearts are dark with sin and the truth exposes the fallacy of their perversion. There's perversion in the heart and it blinds you. Romans 1, Paul prophesies. He talks about this, the generation we are in, I believe. He said, professing themselves to be wise, they have become fools. Perhaps most plainly said, like some old timers used to say, sin makes you stupid. I want to tell you in this generation, my friend, if there's not a voice crying in the wilderness, calling to a generation to salvation through a holy God, how will they hear? How will they know? How will, how will homosexuals know how to get free unless the gospel is preached to them? It does not help them to say, oh, you're fine. That's okay. You don't, you, it doesn't matter. You can be gay. You can do whatever. You can live with your girlfriend. You can, you can sleep around. It's okay. It doesn't matter to God, but it does because he's a holy God and he died for sin just like that. How will people know? It says in the New Testament, Paul said this, how will they hear without a preacher? How will they know unless somebody stands and declares 
Save yourself from a perverse generation. This is the day for us to stand. This is the time for, for friends. As some, I was having a conversation before service, and, and someone said, now that we know that and empowered by the Holy Spirit, what's the next step? And the next step is we have to take the stand and we have to speak. This is where the rubber, this is why we've been filled. This is why we've, we've had the power of the Holy Spirit. So we could, and I don't, I don't mean get a, get a soapbox on the corner of the street. You can do that if you want. I see people in Huber Heights every once in a while do that. And I bless those people. I know people make fun of them and mock them. I'm like, well, what are you doing to save people? Right? People, you can't even tell your friends about Jesus and you're mocking somebody standing on a street corner holding the sign. I, I, I think I would back off on that if I were you. I know I'm not talking to anybody in here, but I'm just saying. But here's the thing. God has empowered us for a time like this. Because there's people in our family. There's people we work with. There's people we rub shoulders with every day. They need to see a powerful gospel witness by somebody that has a steel rod going down the middle of their back who can stand up and not cave in and not preach a gospel of accommodation. But in love, in love. Come on. I'm not talking about being a jerk on Facebook, you know, calling people names. Because there, there's that element. I've got to admit that there's that element of evangelicalism that's ugly. Okay? Got to, I don't even like, I'm Pentecostal. I don't like using, I don't like being called an evangelical. I agree with them on a lot of points, but I'm Pentecostal. I'm not necessarily evangelical. I don't like their baggage. <laughs> In love, speak the truth. It's the purpose of Pentecost, my friends. It's why Jesus has brought us to where he has. We experience the power of the Holy Spirit. We allow the Holy Spirit to heal and cleanse our mess. And then we be a voice to our generation. In other words, we must refuse another coat of paint on the sepulcher. No more coats of paint trying to gussy up something that God wants to come in and have us surrender what is dead, what is false. Let him knock the imposter out of you. God had to knock the imposter out of me. And that sucker likes to try to rear up every now and again and, and try to show his face. But we have to let the Holy Spirit take the imposter out of us. That we can be a voice in our generation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Would you just stand? Lift your hands to the Lord. Just welcome you, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at destinydayton.com.